Hey, West Point friends and family, good morning. Uh, before Pastor Anna preaches, I just want to quickly share a little bit about uh, what we at West Point are looking at with this whole coronavirus situation. Uh, first of all, I want you to understand that the decision to cancel services was not something that we took lightly or something that we did flippantly. Um, we, we only did so because of the recommendations of the state. Um, ultimately, we felt that was the responsible thing to do to work with our officials in this situation. So as of right now, um, all our meetings going forward are canceled until further notice and we're taking it on a week-by-week -week basis. So we will reevaluate this week for next weekend's service as well. Um, additionally, we've decided to postpone the youth bake sale and the garage sale at this time. Um, all, all later decisions will be made as we get closer to the date. Now, as uh, part of this, I want to encourage you uh, to do a few things as we're going through this together. First of all, don't panic. Uh, some people are walking around like we're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Uh, now, while it's important to stay informed, it is not healthy to obsessively watch the news coverage of this epidemic. Uh, frankly, there's little that we can do to change anything at all. And if you want your mind to be at peace, then you need to focus on things that will bring you peace. It's far better to fill your mind with the Word of God. Listen to a podcast or, or read a Christian book. Uh, whatever it takes to get your mind in the right place, that's what you need to do. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If you want peace, think about what you're putting in your mind in the first place. Now the second thing is that we need to stick together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 reminds us, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now while we can't necessarily meet together physically, we live in a day and age where we can still stay connected uh, using technology. So let's make social distancing only something that applies to in-person connection. Let's check up on each other, make a phone call, uh, send a text message, pray for each other. Uh, this is important more now than ever. When people are feeling worried or isolated or anxious, we need to come together and support one another as well. Uh, the third thing is to take care of yourself. The best defense against this particular virus is a healthy body. So don't forget to eat healthy and to exercise and, and take care of yourself so that if something were to happen, your body is prepared to fight off this disease. Uh, today, uh, uh, I'm actually going to do something. A lot of the running community that, that I'm a part of is really disappointed right now because the Boston Marathon, probably the biggest marathon in the world, has been postponed till September. And so many runners are not able to, to participate in this event. So somebody uh, created something called uh, the COVID-19 mile social distance run. <laughs> and really fun, clever thing. And so I'm gonna participate in that today as just a way to stay active and, and do something fun. I'd encourage you, go for a walk, um, work out inside your home, do something uh, to stay active and to stay healthy as well. Now, Pastor Anna is gonna share an awesome message in just a minute here. 
But I want to encourage you that at the conclusion of her message, spend some time in worship. You can pull up a couple songs on YouTube and sing along with them. Um, you can gather your family together and pray together. But let's pray for our world, pray for our church, and pray for each other as well. I love you, and I hope you're encouraged by the word you're about to hear today. We'll see you soon. Good morning, everyone. Man, as much as I really wish that we were face-to-face -face this morning, I have no doubt that God is in control, and He isn't phased by this. He, he knew that this was going to happen, and His thoughts are higher than ours, and His ways are higher than ours. So I trust that God is going to move through this no different than he would if we were at church this morning. Um, we're looking at a really awesome story, Luke 15, the, the story of the prodigal son. Um, and man, this story is radical, and I believe like God has spoken to me through it. He's going he's gonna to speak to you. So let's read it, read it this morning. Um, we're going to start at verse 11. It says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while his father, or sorry, excuse me, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
amazing. Let's pray this morning before we get into it. Lord, I pray that you would incline our hearts to your testimony this morning and not to selfish gain. Lord, I pray that you would turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Lord, open our eyes that we would behold the wondrous things out of your instruction. Lord, teach me your ways that I may walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name, God. And most of all, Lord, satisfy us this morning with your unfailing, your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Amen. So before I get started, I have to recommend this book. Not only has it in inspired a lot about what I'm going to share this morning, but I've discovered things about God that in years of following him, I have never thought of before. So if you love to read books, put this on your list of books to read. Okay, it's The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry J. M. Nguyen. So Luke 15 is a amazing story about a father and his compassion and his joy over the lost being found. He shares three stories in, in this parable. He starts off with the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one sheep left, wandered away and the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one. And then he tells a story about a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one of her coins and she swept her house and, and searched diligently for this one coin. And both of their responses in both of these stories were they, they gathered their friends, they gathered their neighbors to rejoice um, and celebrate over the lost being found. And, and Jesus is inviting us into a similar in response as his sons are being found. Um, but the reason that this parable is, is so crazy is because for the first time here, Jesus right now is going to challenge everything about the way that these people had thought, everything about the way that they had lived. Um, he, he was going to literally tear down the world as they knew it and recreate it or re, rebuild it the way he created it. Um, so let's see who he's talking to here. Luke 15, verse one and two, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we have two classes of people here. We have the unclean people and we have the righteous, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, okay? And these two classes of people tried to stay as far apart from each other as possible. But I always read this and wondered what the big deal was, why the Pharisees were complaining about Jesus sitting with sinners, because I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners here. So what why are they why are they complaining but i looked further into it and you see people looked at these tax collectors as people that stole money from them that always people that took more than they were supposed to and then pocketed um the rest the extra for themselves and not only that but i learned that rome was governing during this time rome was in charge and rome had this in this huge landmass to govern. And, and how do you govern a landmass all the way from England to India is with a massive army. And how do you pay for a massive army? It's through taxes. But Rome isn't just a government 
like we are experiencing today, Rome is to a whole different extent, they're extremely brutal. They're murdering people, they're raping your wives and your daughters, they're, they're beating your loved ones. And so not only are the tax collectors stealing your money, but you're paying them to have this govern, government stay in your city and continue to murder and rape and beat your loved ones. Like now you kind of get why these people were so mad that Jesus was sitting with this guy. And um, the tax collectors were also grouped with the deformed, with the lepers, with the, with the people who had diseases. They were looked at as um, sinners. And then you've got the Pharisees and you've got the scribes. And these guys are on a whole different level, you guys. They pray more than you do. They read their Bible more than you do. They have the first five books of the Bible memorized, okay? I don't know about... I don't know about you, but I'm in the book of Numbers right now, and I'm struggling to get through it. I just want to skip to the New Testament. And the Pharisees, they have it memorized. You see, they, they're intensely devoted to the Word of God, and we often look at them as hypocrites, but the Pharisees taught against hypocrisy. They actually were, in the first century, the firm Bible believers. They really studied the Scriptures well. They wanted to worship God correctly, but they missed it. And you'll see that as Jesus challenges their entire lives worth of thinking, they begin to become pretty unsettled about that because their traditions were being upended. So let's see what Jesus um, is talking about here through this parable. We're going to start in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, Luke tells this in such a matter-of-fact kind of way that it's difficult to fully realize what's happening here because the words that just came out of the son's mouth was literally unheard of. Like, you don't talk to dad that way. It was hurtful. It was disrespectful. Completely offensive because the estate was divided it was divided two-thirds to the older son. He got a double portion and one-third to the younger son. But it was divided when the father died. Okay, so to ask for the inheritance while the father is still alive is to basically wish his father dead. It's saying, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. It's saying, I want the father's things, but not the father, and I want it now. Unheard of, right? If, if any of you that have children experience your kids asking for something in that kind of a way, you'd be like, um, excuse me, go to your room. Like, who do you know? You don't talk to me that way. And the father here was actually expected. It would have been totally fine for him to, to, to drive his son out of the house with not only verbal, but physical blows. Okay. But he doesn't do that. The father, it says, and he divided his property between them. The father gives it to him. And that's the first point here is it is God's loving, loving grace that he allows you to run. God doesn't force you to love him because that wouldn't be love. It's because of free will. It's his loving grace that he allows you to choose. He allows you to run. 
In verse 13, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he had squandered his property in reckless living. So a complete betrayal toward the father, a radical rejection, complete just turning his back from the home in which he was born, the home that he was nurtured. He left and he leaves. I can't, I can't, I just can't, it's hard to put into words what he leaves this place where he can hear the voice that says, you are my beloved and on you my favor rests. He leaves it. He leaves running to find his identity somewhere else, you guys. And I just want to emphasize that God is saying to you that you are his beloved. On you, his favor rests. Because, you see, as the beloved, we can walk through the valley of darkness and we can fear no evil. We can heal the sick. We can raise the dead. We have nothing to fear. We are safe in his arms. We don't have to, we don't have to care about what other people think about us. We're in the Father's house. We're completely free of shame, free of guilt. We are loved unconditionally and we lack nothing. It says in Psalm 23 that the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes us lie down on green pastures and leads us beside quiet waters. Doesn't that sound amazing? He refreshes our soul. He guides us. He keeps us safe in his goodness and his love follow us all of the days of my life when we dwell in the house of the Lord. Yet over and over and over again, I leave home. I leave home trying to find love in a faraway country, searching as if his love is not enough. And somehow we become deaf to the voice that says, you are my beloved and on you my favor rests. Even Jesus, after he heard the father say these words to him, he started hearing voices that said, prove yourself, prove yourself with how successful you are, um, how, popular, how popular you are how much power you have. And, and so often we hear these voices go out and prove yourself, right? If you're in high school or college, so we hear the voices, how are your grades, okay? Because, because you're only gonna be accepted. You're only gonna be, you're only gonna make it out there if you're smart, if you're intelligent. But God's word says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Voices that are lies. Take, take another drink of alcohol because it's going to take the edge off. Swipe your credit card another time because you deserve this and you can figure out the debt later. Like all of these voids of trying to, to find love where it cannot be found, constantly running away from the father's home and always feeling empty inside. Because joy is not a fruit of success, you guys. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Lasting peace is not the fruit of escaping away on vacations. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And love is not a fruit of just sleeping around or involving yourself in toxic relationships. Love is a fruit of the Spirit that can only be found in the Father's house. 
So you and I are the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. And, and not only are we running, but it is this radical no to the Father's love. It, it's this unspoken curse, I wish you were dead. And that's why what we're going to read about next here is so much more than just a compassionate gesture toward a stubborn child. Look at what happens. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. In the father's house you lack nothing. And look, the son is in need here. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? See, right here in this moment, the son realizes that he has lost dignity of his sonship, but he is aware that he was indeed a son who had dignity to lose. And this is where everything changes. The son here is faced with a decision and you here are faced with a decision. Are we gonna accept the rejection of the world that imprisons us? Or do we claim the freedom of the children of God? that we are. We, have, we get to choose that. Whenever, so whenever you think of yourself as I'm no good, I'm useless, I'm worthless, I'm unlovable, I'm a nobody. I know that there's people watching this this morning that have those thoughts. When you think that way, it's choosing to belong to the world. But can I tell you that if you have given your life to Jesus, you are adopted into his family. He has made you righteous and pure. And he says that you are loved. You see, Judas betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus. Both were lost children, but Judas no longer, to, no longer able to hold on to the truth that he remained a child, he hung himself. And Peter, in the midst of his despair, claimed his sonship and ran and returned with many tears to the Father. Judas chose death, but Peter chose life. I encourage you this morning to choose life. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my Father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's choosing life here, right? He's claiming his identity that he is a child of God, but so oftentimes, just like this son is doing here, as he's preparing his speech to approach his father, we still live as though our father demands an explanation. We still think about his love as conditional and about a home as a place that I'm not sure, surely, um, fully sure of. But look what's about to happen here, verse 20. And he rose and came to his father. But while he is still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Oh, I just want to get up right now because this is such a big deal. The father picks up his robe. He stands up, he picks up his robe and he runs. And you have to know that in Middle Eastern culture, 
Running was considered shameful. Like, this doesn't happen, okay? That's like a dad running down Main Street in his boxers while the townspeople are drinking their coffee on their porches. Like, completely crazy. But you see, the father knew, this is amazing, the father knew that if someone else were to meet the son first, that they might beat him, that they might send him away, that they might publicly humiliate him. So the father takes on the shame onto himself. It's what Jesus did for you and I. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. This morning, God wants to restore you to the full dignity of sonship, but you have to stop insisting to settle for being a hired servant with this idea that I'm gonna earn my way back. You're not gonna earn your way back. The father is saying, I'm bringing you back, right? The son was about to say this speech, but the father wasn't hearing it. He was like, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals, let's eat. I'm not even hearing it. You're not going to earn your way back. I'm bringing you back. And receiving forgiveness is a step of faith because it, it requires total willingness to let God be God and do all the healing and restoring and renewing. You see... When my three-year-old Genevieve <laughs> chooses to be disobedient and, and we're talking through the situation, I oftentimes get down at her level and I make eye contact with her and I make sure that she's looking at mom. Because you notice that oftentimes kids look, they look away and we, we can't make eye contact because of shame. So I, I, I have Genevieve look me in the eyes because I want her to know that there's no shame. And I say, Genevieve, do you know, do you know that mommy still loves you? And we always resolve it with lots of hugs, lots of kisses, just like the father did for us. He gets down on your level, no shame, looks you in the eyes and says, do you know I still love you? So good. And now we jump to the older son. Not only was the younger son who left home and looked for freedom and happiness in a distant country, he was lost. But the one who stayed home also became a lost man. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. Notice here that he calls one of his servants to talk first. If you like to thought, uh, stop, okay, go. Notice here he calls one of his servants to talk first. And if you like, if you like to talk about the things of God, other men and women of God with other people, chances are you're an older brother. And of course, it's fine to lovingly discuss things that you value. 
But if it's your tendency to sit around and talk with others with a critical heart and, and, and bad mouth behind their back versus going to the father directly, chances are you're an older brother. And I want to be vulnerable with you here and challenge even marriages because Michael and I um, a number of times have caught ourselves comparing and criticizing and critiquing other people and, and churches and other ministries. And it's, and it's, the Lord has humbly convicted us that it has to stop. So I challenge you in your marriages, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the things of God in love or in, in a critical way? The son, the, the older son talks to the servant, but not to dad. Verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf and because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came and entreated him, but he answered his father, look. And this is a disrespectful he publicly humiliates his father by not calling him. It kind of was done in a, hey, you look here. These many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Do you see that? In this complaint, obedience and duty have become a burden and service has become slavery. Actually, in other translations, maybe in your Bible that you're reading along with, it says, these many years I have slaved for you. It replaces that word served as slaved. And all of this became so real to me three weeks ago. Um, my husband and I are youth pastors here, and as I came to youth group on a Wednesday night, I had a bitter heart and I began looking around um, at who was around me and started like bubbling up complaints in my mind like huh, they're not doing what they're supposed to do they're standing around like gosh this this all just sucks 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 and I and I went to my office and I sat there and and I had this attitude of man I Lord I deserve better than this I've been slaving away at youth group for five years and I caught myself when I had that perspective, whoa, like I've been slaving. I completely missed it. I completely missed it. I had stayed home, um, but my anger and my envy showed me in my own bondage, you guys. I had missed it. Judgment, condemnation, bitterness, resentment, um, jealousy is so deadly to the human heart. The older son was comparing his righteousness with his younger brother's actions. And because he considered himself better than the younger son, he couldn't share in his father's joy. You guys, we have to stop comparing our righteousness with someone else's righteousness and, and comparing ourselves with what we do to what they do because you're not held to their standard anyway. You're held to God's holiness. Verse 30, but when the son of yours came, he can't, even, he can't even call the prodigal his brother. He said, but when this son of yours came, who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. 
And he's upset about a calf here because at that time you almost never ate meat, okay? It was extremely expensive. It was only for special occasions. So the son, the older son here was thinking, how dare you use our wealth on him? Kind of in this disgusted way. Like, and the point of this is that the the point of this parable and the older son is that the older son is just as lost as the younger son. Both sin and self-righteousness separate us from God. And the older son here represents the Pharisees. And it's hard to identify with because the lost, the lost older son, he did all of the right things. He was obedient. He was law-abiding. Um, he was respected. He was well-liked by the people. He probably looked like the model older child. Um, but come face-to-face -face with his father's joy, then you start seeing things bubble to the surface, right? Suddenly you see the resentment. You see the pride you see the selfish person that this older son is. And I've got to ask the question, how do you feel when someone else gets celebrated? When someone else gets recognized? When someone else gets honored? You know, like that coworker that you think is so lazy and then they get employee of the month? Like, how do you feel when, when somebody else um, gets recognized? And... Um, the proud and the self-righteous always feel as though they are not treated as well as they deserve. Um, and I resonate with this growing up in church, growing up here at West Point and, and accepting Jesus into my life at a really young age. Um, I always tried to be really good. I always tried to be acceptable and, and likable and worthy of example. Um, I, was, I was often... Um, um, aware of like making sure that I, I didn't dabble in to the pitfalls of sin, right? And, uh, and giving into temptation. But as I, I started living that way, and I started um, seeing myself as better than everybody else, because wow, look at their sin. They're recklessly living and I'm not doing that. So while I've been, while being raised in the church and following Jesus, Many times my heart has wandered far from the Father's heart um, while still living in the Father's house. Do you see that? Both sin and self-righteousness separate us from God. And he said to him, verse 31, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And I love this. I love this. This statement here that the Father makes, this declaration, completely eliminates that the son is loved more than the other. The older brother thinks that the father is loving his younger brother more, but the father loves both of his sons equally and wholly. The father doesn't have these thoughts of better or worse or more or less. The father doesn't have a mind that compares. And this requires a leap of faith for you and I because we, we, we have little experience of a non-comparing love. We live in a world that constantly compares people as more or less intelligent, more or less attractive, more or less successful. It's, it's, it's not easy to really believe in a love that doesn't do the same, you guys. God's love doesn't do that. 
I don't even think our human brains can comprehend a love like this. You know, in a world full of grades and statistics and always trying to measure up to, to our neighbors, it's hard to accept that, right? But the, lo- but the father loved them so much, like it didn't even occur to the father to delay this party t- to prevent the older son from feeling rejected because God doesn't think with a mind like that. So overall, the older son here, he was not lost in spite of his goodness, but because of it. It's his goodness that kept him from his father. And the father goes out begging, entreating him, please come in. And, and I got to also mention and recognize here that the father, the, I see here that the father is filled with joy, but the older son has zero joy. And I want to challenge you to check your heart this morning. Is jealousy creeping in? Are you comparing your righteousness with others? Do you slander people to make you feel better? Do you have bitterness in your heart, anger, resentment towards someone or against the church? Do you lack joy in your life? Search your heart. God wants to, God is inviting you, no shame, to come back into the Father's house. And can I just say one thing as we close that at church, you are going to be misunderstood. We're human beings. You're not going to agree 100% with everything that goes on here. And it's our nature. It's our nature to magnify the things that offend us. But let's not major on minor things. Okay? It steals our joy. And that's what the whole entire story is about. The Father, great in His mercy, pleading with you to come back into the Father's house where you hear the voice, you are my beloved, and on you my favor rests. It closes here with verse 32. It was fitting to celebrate. He had to. The Father had to. There was no other choice. This is how you respond. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for your brother, your brother. He's reminding his older son, no, this, this is your brother. Your brother was dead and is alive and he was lost and is found. So whatever happened to the older brother, we don't know. The father, God never finishes the story. Did he, did he go in? Did he stay out? Did he ask for forgiveness? I don't know, and we won't know, but what we do know with certainty is that the heart of the Father is a heart of limitless mercy. It leaves us face to face with this choice to trust or not to trust in God's all-forgiving love. And just to close this morning, um, that is just the picture of salvation. It's the beautiful picture of God running toward mankind with arms outstretched, not only to embrace us, but to take the nails that we deserved onto himself, take the shame that we deserved onto himself. The story of the prodigal son is about a father who leaves everything and searches diligently for you. He urges and pleads you to come back. 
And as we close this morning, this is the beautiful picture of salvation, that we have a Father that is running toward mankind with His arms outstretched, not only to embrace us, but to take on what we deserve, to take the nails that we deserve, to take the shame that we deserve onto Himself because He loves us. And it's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do. So will you allow yourself to be found by him this morning? And lastly, would it not stop there? You see, as we can probably most of us identify with either the younger son or the older son or both, I am not to stay there, but I am to become the father. Not just be the one who is welcomed home, but to welcome others home. Not only to be the one who receives compassion, but to give compassion to everyone. That is the core message of the gospel. It's, it's about loving people. It's about loving one another, one another the way God loves us. Selfless, outgoing, seeking after, unconditional, not competitive, not comparing, absolute compassion towards our enemies and the world around us. Isn't that good? So um, I pray that the Lord speaks to you this morning. Spend some time in worship and in prayer and ask him, God, what does this mean for me? Search your heart. Um, thanks for watching this morning. I hope you guys have a really good rest of your Sunday. God bless.